grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text this morning will be taken from the reading in the Gospel of Luke. You may be seated. We begin with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, you have shown us abounding mercy and you have shown us grace in ways that we do not deserve. And yet, Lord, we find in our world and in our own lives uh, that we have a hard time, Lord, forgiving others as they have sinned against us. And so, Lord, we pray now that you would grant us your Holy Spirit. Uh, prompt us, Lord, to follow your example in prayer, but to receive your forgiveness all the more. Uh, now be with us this day and guide us and grant us your Holy Spirit that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we're going to have kind of a kind of a heavy sermon. I'm glad we had some um, uh, like a, like a like a wonderful fun song from the choir and, and a joyful little children's message because it's actually it's going to start kind of heavy this morning. And I'm not being uh, making a joke about this. It's a rather heavy message, I think, today as we're going to talk about uh, Christ's call to us uh, to forgive. Because I think we live in a world right now uh, that lacks a great deal of forgiveness. Philip Yancey, in fact, he described it this way. He talks about living in a world where we, we have this sort of unbroken chain of ungrace. And he uses this language in a book that he wrote. Maybe you've read Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace. It's kind of a fascinating and, and rather challenging book. But in this book, he, he recounts the story of ungrace in a family that he was familiar with. And it's, it's a rather sad story. And it starts very heavy. It starts with a father who was uh, an abusive alcoholic. And at one point, he got so fed up with his wife, he kicked her out of the house and never welcomed her back. In this family, they had 10 children. Some of the children went with the mother. Some of the other children went to live with other relatives. But one daughter, whose name was Daisy, was forced to stay home with her dad. Well, later on in his life, this gentleman came to know the Lord, and he became a Christian. And he decided to make it his life goal to pursue all of his children and ask them for their forgiveness. And every single one of them forgave him, except for Daisy. She refused to forgive him, and she vowed that she would never be like her father. And so, in order to do this, she vowed never to touch alcohol, and she, she never had a drink of alcohol. And yet, though she didn't uh, do that, she still had bitterness and anger residing in her heart, so that she was verbally and physically abusive towards her own children, telling them that they had ruined her life and she regretted their existence. One of her children, whose name was Margaret, grew up vowing never to be like her mother, and yet she found herself in the same place when her own son Michael began smoking a lot of pot and he turned into a hippie. She kicked him out of the house, saying she hoped that God would never allow him to return. Yancey picks up the story in a conversation that he was having with Michael. And he was talking to Michael after he, though he had vowed to never be like his mom, had recently been through a divorce. And Yancey said, as he spoke, this man spoke of his ex-wife, he could see in his face and he could hear in his voice the same vehemence and the same bitterness that resided in his mother. And so Yancey says this, like a spiritual defect encoded in the family DNA, ungrace gets passed on in an unbroken chain. Ungrace. 
I cannot think of a better word to describe the world in which we live right now. And as much as we want to talk about tolerance and kindness and being open-minded and all of this, I think we can all agree that we have become a poisonously, poisonously judgmental and condescending society. And much like we see with, with this family that Yancey describes, our society, instead of pursuing mercy and forgiveness and seeking reconciliation, seeks to justify itself by not doing what they did, you know, by not being like those sinners over there, only to find ourselves living in bitterness and fear and ultimately committing the same sins that we work so hard not to commit. This poison of ungrace not only uh, impacts the relationships we have with others, it begins to seep in to other aspects of our lives so that our entire culture has become utterly judgmental. And not only are we now withholding forgiveness from those who Christ calls us to forgive, but what we see taking place in our world right now is we're judging people just to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. We want to make them look bad so that we can feel better about who we are. A guy named John Ronson in his book, So You've Been Publicly Shamed, which is a rather jarring book, uh, shows how this is happening, uh, like in the realm of social media, for example. He says, people on Twitter have become a pitchfork mob. We are now soldiers making war on other people's flaws. And this attitude, this, this heart of ungrace is like permeating everything in the culture. But we're not going to sit here this morning and just point fingers at the culture so that we're sort of taking part in the same practices because we've got to be honest with ourselves. This, this attitude of ungrace, we find it residing in our own hearts as well, don't we? We have a hard time forgiving those who have sinned against us. We have a hard time showing mercy to others. And you know this is true and I know it's true. Because every time we hear Jesus' words today from the reading in Luke, we get defensive. And we all start to look for loopholes. So Jesus speaks into this world of ungrace and speaks into our hearts of ungrace and says this, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. But the eighth time you're off the hook. No, no, doesn't say that, does he? No. Jesus is calling you and he's calling me and he's calling us as his church to do and to be something different than we find in this world and in this culture of ungrace. Because we do live in a world that is defined by and entertained by and funded by ungrace. By law and judgment. But Jesus has given his church to be different. He's called us to be a place of hope and mercy, a sort of lighthouse of forgiveness and a very dark, dark sea of bitterness. And what I'm saying here is not just this. Like we hear this and we go, oh yes, so we as the church are supposed to be nice and welcoming and we welcome all kinds of people and that's what we're to be about. And that, that's true, but, but it, that's too safe of a move. Jesus is literally calling you today and he's literally calling me today to forgive that person that you hold uh, anger towards in your heart. That person that has hurt you, that person that has harmed you. Jesus has literally calling you to pursue them in forgiveness. And I know these are hard words for you to hear and I know they're hard words for me to hear. This is why every time we hear, see, I could stand up here, I could preach on anything. I could stand up here and I could preach on, you know, 
how the giving in the church is terrible and you all need to start giving 15% if you want to come through the doors. And that'd be a great plan, by the way. Anyways, I could preach on that and everybody would say, well, hard words today, pastor. Really, really something to think about. But as soon as I preach on this text or any text like this, and Jesus talks this way a lot, it's, it's fascinating to me how, and this happens in my own heart, but how much pushback I get. How much pushback, not me, because I'm not, these aren't my words, uh, but how much pushback Jesus gets. Because suddenly we all start looking for the loophole, and here's what we do. We all start setting up straw man arguments against what Jesus has said, right? So we'll say things like this. What, so Jesus just wants me to act like nothing ever happened? Jesus just wants me to be a doormat so I get walked all over? Or then we come with this beautiful defense. Well, I can forgive, but I'll never forget. And if that's what your first response is, my guess is you're not forgiving nearly as much as you think you are. I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. If that's really the attitude you have in your heart, my question to you is, why do you so desperately want to hold on to that thing? Why do you want to so desperately reject the words of Christ here? Why do we cling so tightly to ungrace? That's a hard question we have to ask ourselves. I think the reality is we want justice. We want fairness. We want others to get what they have coming. We want everyone to get what they deserve. Maybe not me, but everyone else should be getting what they deserve. And forgiveness and mercy and grace, well, that stuff, that just upends the whole project, doesn't it? It completely undoes the system that keeps this world from going haywire, right? I mean, can you imagine a hockey game without a penalty box? It's a great children's message today. I mean, we think this way, and there's some truth to this. After all, without justice for criminals, without people getting what they deserve, the whole world would run amok, and that's true, and that's why God has established laws, and that's why God has established governments, to keep sinners in check and to keep the world in order. That's why the creation works the way it does, that if you live a life of sin one way or another, it's going to come back to get you. Because that's just kind of the way the system works. And yet in that system, Jesus yet calls you and me to forgive. That, he says today, as a Christian, is your duty to forgive. That if you're sinned against seven times in a day and the person comes back seven times seeking repentance, you must forgive them. And again, on the eighth time, that doesn't mean they're off the hook. Seven is a number that represents completeness or wholeness in the Bible. So what Jesus is saying here is, you are to forgive wholly and completely. And so we are with the disciples today when they respond to Jesus' commands here. We're right there with the disciples today when we hear this and we say, yeah, I can't do that. So did you notice how the disciples responded? They come to Jesus and they say, all right, this is what you're commanding but you need to increase our faith. You need to increase my faith. Because, Lord, I cannot do that on my own. I cannot forgive that person for what they've done to me. I simply cannot do it. Believe me, I've even tried, but I just can't. So I need you to increase my faith. I need you to teach me to trust you enough with other people's sins that they've committed against me. So you take them, Lord. You forgive those sins. And then produce that forgiveness in my own heart. Because my heart is so full of ungrace that I cannot do this. I think that's the point the text ultimately gets us to today. Where we have to go before Christ and say, I cannot 
do what you're commanding me to do. Unless you think that that's going to be grounds for Jesus kicking you out of the conversation. In fact, it's right where he was going for. See, when you come to Jesus saying, I cannot do this, Jesus now says, ha, I've got you right where I want you. Nothing in your hands to bring. Completely incapable of doing the duty to which you've been called. So that now for you and in you and through you, Jesus Christ can finally do the impossible. And not give you what you deserve. See, instead of showing you fairness today, instead of showing you justice today, instead of giving you what you have coming, (laughs) the Lord Jesus Christ shows up with forgiveness. He shows up with mercy for you. And he comes to you this morning through these words in my mouth and declares to you, I forgive you all of it. You are forgiven for all of it. You are forgiven for your lack of forgiveness. You are forgiven for your weak forgiveness. And not just that, you are forgiven for all of it because every single sin we've committed, every, every sort of um, feeling of bitterness that we've harbored and fostered, any sin we've committed in our lives has ultimately been a sin against God himself. And Christ says, I have bled and died for all of it, and I forgive you. So that Martin Luther can describe it this way, when Jesus forgives, he forgives everything completely. And he leaves nothing unforgiven. To use Philip Yancey's language, Jesus comes and he just shatters the chain of ungrace. And this promise, this proclamation that Jesus makes to you today that you are forgiven is not just a one-time word you hear and now he sort of hopes you figure the whole thing out as you leave today. No. This is the defining word of your, forgi- of your existence. You are a forgiven sinner. A sinner who has received mercy from God himself. You are a person who has been brought from death to life, from condemnation to freedom, from the curse of judgment to the joy of mercy. This forgiveness recreates you to be something else so that you no longer need to live your life in this world of judgment and retribution and this darkness and bitterness. No, you are free from that. And you are free now to forgive just as God and Christ has forgiven you. Because Christ has literally broken the chain of ungrace in your life. I hope you've seen this past week uh, a beautiful example of what this actually looks like when the church is, is doing its job and being this beacon of light in a place of darkness. I hope you saw that story this past week. Uh, of the courtroom scene for Amber Geiger. Do you guys, did you all see this? It was a pretty remarkable uh, scene uh, where Amber Geiger, who was a uh, white police officer in Dallas, uh, ended up shooting a black man who was innocent in his apartment and killing him. Well, this week was her sentencing, and she was sentenced to, uh, to 10 years in prison for this. Well, well, at the sentencing, I guess the family is able to come up and say a few words uh, to, the, to the person who's going to jail. And so... Uh, uh, the guy who was shot, his name was Botham Jean. Uh, his brother, Brant, came up to the stand to say a few words. Now, you need to understand the context here. This is obviously a very controversial situation. Uh, uh, race issues are highly sensitive, and understandably so, in our culture right now. And there's a lot of noise and a lot of media and a lot of anxiety and fear and conversation and frustration, all kinds of stuff going on around this. And so he gets up to the stand, and he could literally say anything to really put her in her place. 
But there in that courtroom, in that place of law and judgment, the place that we hold up in our society as like the most righteous place in the world where the law rules, in that place, mercy showed up. And Botham's brother, Brant, gets to the stand and he says, I could stand up here today and remind you of everything you've taken from us and how much you've hurt us, but I don't think I need to do that. Instead, he said, if you are truly sorry, I know I speak for myself, I forgive you. (laughs) And he says, I know that if you go to God, he will forgive you. And Brent wasn't talking about some general nice God. He pointed uh, that woman straight to Jesus Christ. He says, I know Jesus Christ will forgive you for your sins. And then he did something utterly remarkable. He asked the judge if he could come down from the stand and give her a hug. (laughs) And then in that moment, heaven invades earth. And mercy is embracing a sinner who, though in prison, now has the promises of Jesus ringing in her ears. And I know there's a lot of controversy about this, and there's a lot of noise going on around this, and and everybody has something to say and contribute to all of this. And I, I know this doesn't mean that everything's solved and all the problems are figured out, and we still have a lot to work towards in our society right now. Uh, But we can at least say this, that no matter what the noise says, that woman, though she is in jail, she is free. And no matter what the noise is going on in the world, she has the Lord Jesus Christ ringing in her ears. I mean, there's nothing more Christ-like than this. At this point, what's, what's remarkable is the judge then, did you see this part? The judge comes down, and she gives the woman a Bible. Good gracious, Brant gave her a gracious and merciful judge. There's nothing more Christ-like than that. This is amazing. And that is what the Lord Jesus Christ has called his church to do. That is what he has called you to be. Because we have far too many stories, like the one Philip Yancey told, which doesn't have a happy ending to it, as far as we know. Uh, There's far too many stories of ungrace in this world. We live in a world that is void of forgiveness. But I have good news for you today. You are not void of that forgiveness. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has had that forgiveness for you. Hear this word today and let it ring in your ears and in your hearts. Yours is a life forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgiveness is hard. It's a hard thing Jesus calls us to. Forgiveness is a miracle. But know this today. It is a miracle that Christ has accomplished for you. And he has broken the chain of unforgiveness in your life. So you are free. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon us. And we pray that you would teach us to forgive because we cannot forgive as you have forgiven us. So Lord, do it to us. Forgive us. And then forgive through us. And may, O Lord, your merciful word always be found on our lips and in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Having heard the word of our Lord, I invite you to please rise as we continue by confessing our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed.